Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. And in this episode, we are going to have, um, we're diving into part two of Max Ivy's, um, just amazing, amazing interview, um, that I had with him. Uh, so cool. I hope you're finding it inspiring. Hopefully I didn't cut off too, too early in the other, um, episodes. I hope you like it. Let me know. Um, in this part, this is part two. Um, we're going to talk about Max's book tour, um, what it's like holding your book, um, his writing and editing process. And then of course, which is really cool and also really just like, Oh, it's a gutter. Um, uh, well, it's, what is it when it cuts you in the gut? <laughs> so like the big loss that he faced. Oh my gosh, you guys, you know, I was like, Oh, wow. I mean, it's intense. So y'all, thank you so much. I'm not going to use up any more of your time. Let's go ahead and dive into part two of three with the blind blogger. Welcome to the How to Write a Book podcast, the show that helps you plan, write, and publish your book, even if you're a beginner or just feel like one. Now for your host, she's written over a dozen books and helps others bring their books to life. Here she is, Maciel. And if you practice, eventually you'll get really good at it, and then you can overcome some serious things, like you know, uh, like when I sold a quarter of a million dollar carousel and didn't get paid for it. Oh yeah, I read that in your book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So here's the thing: I had this guy from from Maine wanted to sell an old carousel. His family had bought it at auction. It had been in storage for ten years. Mm-hmm. They sent me pictures of it. I posted it on my social media. I had a buyer for this carousel in 30 minutes. I was jazzed. I was like, nice. yes, this is what I need to do. And within uh, within two weeks, the buyer was in the United States from Australia looking at the carousel. Within two months from the first post on LinkedIn, that carousel was being assembled at an agricultural fair in Australia. And then the guy doesn't return my phone calls. He doesn't return my emails. He blocks my number. He tells the people at his office not to take my calls. And eventually I go looking through all my stuff and I realize I don't have anything from this guy that says he promised to pay me. So I couldn't sue him. And I would find out later he was kind of a sleazebag anyway. So I don't know if suing him would have been, would have worked. So, but you know, I never got paid. Eventually I had to accept that I wasn't going to get paid and move on with it. But I'm like, okay, Max, you are the most positive guy you're, that most of your friends know. There has to be something good that happened here. So what happened? And, of course, the obvious one is I sold a quarter of a million-dollar ride that had been sitting in storage for 10 years in 30 minutes. Nice. You know, yeah. you can't you, – you know, that basically validated my whole business model. You know, this is – I can actually do this and do it really well because – I'm building this social media community. I'm building an email list. I'm doing a blog post and that sort of stuff. So that validated me. Um, more people started visiting my website. Even though I didn't get paid, I still posted a blog post about selling the carousel. And I still promoted on social media that I had sold the carousel. But it, and if anybody had asked me about not getting paid, I would have told them. But nobody ever asked. Mm-hmm. So um, I started getting a lot more traffic to the website. People started asking me, if I could find them unusual, unique, or hard to find items, people started asking me if I could find them buyers for their old junk that was sitting in their warehouses. Um, I got a hundred dollar thing and a nice mention on the mutual of, mutual of Omaha's Aha Moment series, where they said, you know, they they posted the picture of the carousel and talked about how great this was. 
And uh, I used that money to buy new clothes, which was the first new clothes I had bought since I had the gastric surgery. And it was great to have clothes that didn't have a drawstring in them. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, and, uh, and what else? Um, just my standing in the amusement community as far as a broker was improved. So I found these things, but I did have to sit down and make a list because I had already started spending the money. Mm-hmm. You know, we were looking at cars, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, naturally. You know, we were like, we were like, we don't need this big one ton four door pickup no more. We were looking at cars. Mm-hmm. So this was very hard at first. But like I said, eventually I just made a list of all the good things that came out of it. And then I'm like, okay, what's the next thing? And oh. We don't do we don't we don't do the first bit of work for nobody no more until we have something from them in writing that says they're going to pay me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so it was it was a good it was a bad experience, and I learned some some valuable lessons at a very expensive cost. But you know, I I made a lot of really good friends in the business as a result of that, and it's one of those posts that still gets you know some of the highest traffic on my website even years later. So it's. It, it is what it is. It was very disheartening and depressing and, you know, crushing at the moment. But within a week, I was like, okay, who's next? Who's next? You know, we're gonna, who, who else has something in their barn that they need, they need to get out of their barn? And I went on with it. So, you know, and I, and I'm going to, I want to share one more example because this has to do specifically with authors, if it's okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. It wasn't in that book. It's in my latest book, The Blind Blogger's First Speaking and Signing Adventures, How You Can Conquer Your Fears, Mm -hmm. which is about my first trip traveling the country to promote myself as an author, which I did just differently than most everybody else will do. So, you know, maybe you shouldn't follow my example in general. (laughs) Um, I was invited to speak at an event in Philadelphia. So I thought, what the heck? Yeah, I'd like to go. And I I found the money and I, I went, you know, I had, I didn't have a lot of money, but you know, I decided to go ahead and go. Well, once I announced I was going, other people said, Max, why don't you come visit us and stay with us? So it ended up, I did a six-week tour. I went from Houston to Philadelphia to Buffalo to Jacksonville to Jonesville, which is near Spartanburg, South Carolina, and then eventually back home. I was gone six weeks, and I did a couple of book signings. I even sold some books on the train, which, by the way, I took Amtrak the entire way. I kind of like the train whenever I can take the train. I like it better than the planes, especially nowadays. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I, at my first book signing, um, in, in, uh, at Dog Ears Books in Buffalo, New York, um, this is like the middle of May, first of June. And, you know, Buffalo, they have really hard winters. They get a lot of snow. They, really enjoy it when they get an opportunity to go outside in the sunshine. Well, on the day of my book signing at Dog Ears Books was the first sunny day in 2017 in Buffalo, New York. (laughs) It was me, the store owner, his assistant, and my driver. There was four of us there the whole day. But Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it was fun. The, uh, The... the bookstore owner, he gave us some really good pita and hummus oh. and, uh, you know, tea and coffee. And we had a great conversation about publishing and promoting. And, 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 and he had some great music on his, uh, on his sound system. So it was a really cool thing. Um, and, you know, it was, a, it was a bad day. But I got back to the house I was staying in with my, with my friends that in, invited me to come there. 
And I said, okay, Max, what can you do? What, you know, what do you know that, you know, will be positive? And so I opened my email. I get an email from a woman who's like, you know, Max, um, I really didn't think that I was capable of doing, you know, of doing things in my own life. And then I read some of your posts and I'm like, okay, if he can do it, then what's my excuse? So I got one of those emails, which was really cool. I got an invite from some people out in California that when, whenever I'm in California, they want to do a book signing. It's a place called Pipe and Thimble, I think. And it's supposed to be the largest, of course, who knows, who knows now after COVID. But at the time, it was the largest independent bookstore in the state of California. So they, they just out of the blue invited me to come. And, you know, uh, they had seen, they had seen an interview I did with a friend of theirs who had a podcast. So they just out of the blue sent me an email. And they're like, and of course, you know, California is like the other side of the country from where I was and, you know, 2000 miles from my house. So, you know, I was like, yeah, it's nice. Uh, but then I thought, you know, I've been meaning to record some videos where I sing and give talks just to get that out in the world. So I sat down, I recorded a couple of those. I recorded um, one about, you know, just, uh, just starting and continuing to move forward where I sang The River by Garth Brooks. And then I did another one where I talked about asking for help and accepting help. And that one I combined with a song called Daddy Frank from uh, Merle Haggard and Arlo Guthrie, which is, you know, probably those names are probably too old for you to know who the heck they are. But <laughs> uh, and, and I put those out and people had really good responses to them, to them, especially the one about asking for help. I mean, I got when I posted that on Twitter, I got responses from executives who were like, this is one of the things that I struggle with. And it was, so that was really cool. And, you know, then my host fixed some, some really good food. We had, uh, we had some homemade Italian from, Ooh. you know, like fifth or sixth generation Italian who, you know, learned it the, in the kitchen at the, at the aprons of her mother and her grandmother, you know, and oh. food, good food, you know? Yeah. So, um, but those are some of the things I had to think about. And, you know, by the next day it was, you know, what are we going to do next? So, and that's, that's the way it is. When you get knocked down really, really hard, a lot of times you have to make a list. You have to sit down and take a piece of paper. I actually recommend paper instead of electronic for this, but you have to sit down and think, what did I learn that was positive? What did I do that I've never done before? Even if it turned out wrong. Even if it wasn't what you wanted it to, what you saw it in your brain, uh, and sometimes even what if it was better than you saw it in your brain? Either way, um, because sometimes, as you know, getting more than we expected can also be a burden or a trial. You know, I mean, that doesn't sound like it makes sense, but trust me, if you're somewhere where you sell twenty books and there's there's thirty more people standing in line and you don't have no more books, you know that can be the same sort of thing. And you can be kicking yourself later about missed opportunities. So even, even having more than you expect it can be, but sit down and make a list. Think about anything good that happened, no matter how small, you know, sunshine, birds singing, great food, uh, cool songs on the radio, um, new uh, towels or linens straight out of the dryer or off, or off a clothesline. If you're lucky enough to still have, have a clothesline. You know, just anything you can think of, um, you know, the fact that you called or talked to a bookstore owner and had a book signing in this case, you know, that takes courage. And you had the guts to show up not knowing if anybody else would. And, 
you put your books out there, you put yourself out there. And trust me, that's big time. That is, you know, so important to an author to be willing to let people see your work, you know, to put your books on social media when you have the ebook. Um, and here's another thing I like to tell authors because I find this will change your mood and it will change your conversation because this has happened to me several times. If you have a book that's been published and it's only in electronic form, excuse me, do whatever you have to do, you know, go through KDP, Lulu, you know, whichever platform you prefer, order at least a couple copies of, of, of the print version of your book and carry them around with you. Because here's what happens. If I tell somebody I'm an author in a coffee shop or a cafe or a lobby, they're like, oh, no, not another one of them people. <laughs> but if I tell somebody I'm an author and then I show them a copy of my latest book, then it's, then it's wait a minute, he's actually an author. Um, <laughs> For real. <laughs> he's legit. And then it's like, you know, and then since they were thinking bad thoughts, a lot of times they will go, well, you know, I like the look of this book. Or they'll say, can I look at the book and see if, and see if I might want it? And, you, and I always say, sure, take a good look at it. I've never had anybody that didn't bring the book back. So, yeah, take a good look. And, and a lot of times you will sell a book because they were thinking bad thoughts. And then you prove to them that you were a real author. It doesn't matter whether it's a self-published book or a traditional published book. It's the fact that you have the physical copy right there with you and you have the guts to pull it out of your purse or your backpack or your hip pocket and show it to them. That's what changes conversations. Oh, I love that. I love that. I've never done that before. And I'm, oh, I'm you've got to do it. You've <laughs> got to do it. And what's, what's really fun is if you do it at a bookstore, like I had one of my best experiences was, was pulling my book out of my, out of my bag at a, at a, at a Barnes and Noble and having the guy go, wait a minute, these are in our catalog. We don't have them in the store, but people can actually buy these from us. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Cause you're like, yeah, I'm celebrating myself. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I strongly advise it no matter what you think about the, about your book. Cause I, like I said, when I published my first book, I still, I've got one right here. Let me, let me hold it up for people. You're gonna have to help me face it the right direction. Okay. Let's see. I flip it around. Uh, this way and then and then turn it um so that it's facing the other way that there we go perfect all right okay i still don't think this book is big enough for good enough but mm -hmm. everybody that's read it does but when i you know if i'm somewhere i can pull this book out of my pocket and automatically i'm a different person yeah. it's 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 almost like superman going into the into the phone booth and putting on the cape you know <laughs> Yes. And you know what? I mean, I just literally what you've been talking about kind of connects how you say like celebrating yourself, celebrating the small ones, especially in your book, you really hone in on that. And I think also having that physical book does something to you. You're like, oh yeah, this is in my hands now. Yes. Yeah. And for people, if you, if you visit my website, there's a post in there that says something like, um, I didn't expect holding my first book in my hands to affect me this way. And if you look at the picture, I'm told that I have never taken a better picture that I really look like I'm happy in that photo. And it's all the effect of holding that first book in your hand. Even though I can't see my book, I can smell the book. I can feel the fa the paper in my hands and I know what it took to make that book a reality. So yeah, I've, I'm smiling bigger in that picture than anywhere else. And 
Uh, it's happened with my other books as well. When I when I get a new book, that's the first thing we do is order a print copy and take a picture. Which I reminds love- me, I got to get after my nephew to take a picture of me with my latest book. Oh my gosh, I love that. No, that is amazing, and it is so inspirational too. You know, and especially because I mean. You weren't even starting off thinking like you're going to write a book. So I'm really excited no. for when you do your fiction book now because you're going to have this huge <laughs> thing there. It would be awesome. Yeah. My, my editor, Lorraine, wants me to go back to my New York City book and, and write some sex scenes into the train trip. Oh, hey, that's going to be spicy. You know, that's what she suggested. I'm like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm a churchgoer. I could hint at it, but I couldn't actually do it. You know what I mean? Right. You know, that's like um, with my romance books, like e- even if I'm like, oh, I should write this sex thing. I'm still, the door always closes on me. I'm like, oh, all right. Well, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've, and, and, you know, I, I've, uh, you know, speaking of that, which I don't want to talk too much about that. Cause like I said, it isn't really my wheelhouse, but mm-hmm. I, I've noticed that when I read fiction, even, you know, detective fiction, suspense fiction, there's a lot of sex in our books nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the movies and TV. There's more of it. Um, yeah. You know, the lady that starred in A Fish Called Wanda had the greatest line ever. She said, they brought me the script. I told them it was an okay script, but if they wanted it to make money, they'd have to let me add some sex and some curse words. <laughs> so, uh, but I've noticed that um, people just don't seem to have the have a real talent uh, for describing the sex scenes. I mean, I, there's only a few people out there that, you know, you really feel like these people could have actually done that with each other based on their characters. So um, I'm especially impressed with uh, with Stephanie Lawrence. Um, I like Nora Roberts, but she's better as J.D. Robb. And mm. she writes the Eve Dallas Mysteries. Have you ever read Eve Dallas? Eve Dallas? No, I haven't. Oh, they are amazing. And I'm going to say this, and I want to make sure y'all hear me say this because this is the honest truth. Mm-hmm. She is the best. Um, she is the best detective procedural author out there. Period. I'm not going to say for a woman because that doesn't apply at all to her books. It's called the Eve Dallas series. They are set in the 2040s, 50s, and 60s. And the main character is a very broken, very flawed uh, police detective named Eve Dallas, who was who was raped and groomed for the sex trade as a young woman before she killed her father. And, you know, she grew up in orphanages. And, she, and as she's solving these crimes, she's also growing as a person. She fights it every step of the way. She does not want to have friends. She does not want to have a husband. She doesn't even want to have her cat. You know, she just fights <laughs> It's just, but it, it's just an amazing story. To, and she has a real gift for describing sex scenes. So if if that is your thing, those are two authors you really should read their work. You know, I mentioned earlier, I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies because and, and self help books because I want to learn from the way other people write. And some of their stories, you know, prompt me to think about things that maybe I wouldn't have thought about in the same way, and then they become part of my story. But those are two authors I definitely recommend. And I think there's also, what is the, um, Christina Maxwell, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. Um, she writes historical fiction from like the 14, 1500s. Her stuff usually happens in Ireland or Scotland. But, uh, but yeah, there, there are so very few. And I, and, you know, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to give myself out there too much, but 
I think that one of the real one of the real gifts of a great storyteller as something I'm still working on is patience. Take the time to let the story develop. I think too many authors, when they're writing graphic scenes, um, there's so much about the act and not about the build up to the act or the denouement to the act. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. I think that's great, especially um, because that for new writers, you know, they'll get overwhelmed with, you know, all the things they have to do. But if you do have that patience, that can really help you push forward. So that was, that's excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're um, welcome. And you're more than welcome to tell me if at some point I'm going on too long or that you need to go somewhere else, because I do tend to run on. I'm a storyteller at heart, as I told you before we started. And, you know, I have really don't have any questions I won't answer, but I do understand that I want this to be good for you and your audience. So, you know, if you get to a point where you're like, Max, we're done, just tell me we'll be done. <laughs> well, no, actually, I do want to wrap this up, but I have still, I haven't even gotten to some of my questions. So I would love to have you on again. <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm great at, I'm great at distract. I distract people all the time. I distract hosts. <laughs> I distract drivers. Um you know, I distract people from doing their work in the kitchen or, the, or you know, on their computer. I'm just really good at it. Um, I think it's because I have trouble, you know, since I can't see them, mm-hmm. I don't often realize that they're in the middle of something, you know. So like, <laughs> uh, and like now, I, there are friends who I, who I, well, I haven't ridden with them since COVID, but there are friends who I used to ride with. They'd be like, Max, would you just be quiet until we get there? Oh, man. <laughs> No, and then I'm over here. I'm so easily distracted as well. Like if the TV is playing or something's playing, like I'm immediately tuned in. So I'm like totally enthralled here. I'm like, okay, I'll go good. Keep going. And I'm, I'm looking down at my notes. And I'm like, oh, n- none of these are checked off yet. So I'm like, okay. Well, how about we do a lightning round and then we'll do a part B interview at some point in the future. I would love to do a lightning round. And also, well, both. Right. yes to both. Yes to both. Okay. So All first, right. well, one of my, this is probably going to be the biggest one is um, when you're writing your book and the obstacles you felt, did you feel any internal obstacles and how did you face that? You know, being that um, your deadline had essentially been taken away from you, which is getting um, into that conversation. So how did you finish the book internally? Um, I think that internally, I still don't think the book was good enough. So getting past that was the biggest hurdle. And thankfully, I had external pressures. I didn't have a deadline, but I had friends telling me to publish. I had a good friend, an editor who was ready to help me publish. So having people in my community who would say, Max, this is good. No matter what you think, this is good. So the important thing is if you don't have at least one person in your life right now who will say, this is good or this is crap, then go find them. And I like to encourage people to reach out to me through my website, theblindblogger.net, because I enjoy being that person. I love that. I love that. Um, okay. And then also you mentioned weeding out the negative um, and especially for writers, what do you think that uh, we kind of find the most negative and how can we go ahead weeding that out? All right. Obviously, the most negatives, there are several of them. The first is your own voice when you're writing. So I say, hire an editor and just write. Mm -hmm. Tell your story the best way you can, and then send it off to an editor and let them help you make it pretty and perfect, or as close to perfect as it can be. That's how I write. That's how I can get more writing done, because I'm like, I don't have to worry about this. I got Lorraine, you know, so I just write. And sometimes I write for several hours at a time. And, you know, sometimes I send her 40, 50,000 words at the end of the book. And 
you know, I'll be honest with you. When I when I wrote my book about New York City, since the time uh, since the time tenses kept changing back and forth, when that book was published, she said, uh, "Max, I love you, but the next time you're in Canada, I'm going to beat the living dog out of you because of this book." <laughs> Oh, but but it was always love and support. I'm assuming. Oh yes, yeah, with love and support, she would have beat the dog out of me, um, which is rare for a Canadian because they're even more polite than Texans. So, oh gosh, yes, they're <laughs> so nice. So, but but you know, she's like Max, figuring out figuring out the verb and time tense because you keep going back and forth, and that was she said she said that was incredibly difficult, and you know, it's actually part of the testimonial I think I put wrote, wrote about that particular project, but. You know, yeah, she's she's worked with people that have created fiction, that have written single books or or multiple, you know, serial books. But you know, with your internal negatives, just write the stuff down, think about it later, or let an editor help you think about it later. Because if you critique yourself while you're writing, no matter how little of it you do, you slow your writing down, and sometimes you'll talk yourself out of something that would have been great. And I have had many conversations with my editor where I'm like. You know, Lorraine, I left that in there, but I didn't think it was good. I thought it shouldn't have been in the book. And she's like, no, it was perfect. Um, So it just, you know, a lot of times it's, a lot of times my story is really good. Just the way I told it wasn't exactly as good as it could have been. And so we work on that. But uh, try not to critique or edit yourself while you're writing. Just write. And uh, as, as and then beyond that, when it comes to publishing, you're never going to be happy with sending it off to a publisher, editor, or Amazon. You're always going to be scared. The gremlins, the dragons, are always going to show up and say, "Who the heck do you think you are? You are not good enough." They do not want to hear what you have to say. So you have to find a way, either through affirmations or good friends, or you know, or possibly you're lucky enough you have an agent or a publicist that will help you with that. But you just have to find some way to press send, press publish, and go on with it. And th- and know that while you will never get over this feeling, you will get better the more times you do it because you will have the experience of overcoming that negative. And then, of course, the most common one is when we pitch other people. You know, when you send out those query letters and you sent 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 of them or however many it is, and they all come back and they're all, no, you're not good. You know, we don't want you. This isn't what we want. You just have to remember these people, half the time, they don't know what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, they're waiting for somebody to send them a book that, you know, is like, yeah, I got to have this book. Because a lot of times, I mean, I don't pitch agents all, or publicists all the time. I generally are like, I'm, I'm going to do my self-publishing thing and grow my deal and if, if one of the big houses comes to me and says, hey, we want to repurpose your, your previously published books and we want to give you this much money, that'll be fine. But every so often I do query agents and I tell you, the most frustrating, frustrating thing about that is, is when I read an agent's bio and I read what they're looking for and I send them my pitch query and I send them a sample chapter and they write back and said, um, this really isn't what we're looking for. This is what I'm looking for. And I'm like, well, why didn't you say that was what you're looking for in your darn bio, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so try to remember these people, they're under a lot of pressure. A lot of them don't really know what they want. They don't know, really know what their publishing house wants. Um, they are really hoping to, you know, to catch lightning in a bottle and, and discover somebody. But, you know, that's the, that's the main thing. A lot of them really don't know what they want or 
they know what they want, but they don't know how to express what they want. Yeah. So when you get turned down, just think of it like, like my good friend Adrian Smith likes to think of it. When you get turned down, a no is one step closer to the yes. Mm-hmm. And anytime somebody tells you no, that leaves you space in your life to do something that's more perfect for you. So I, and, and of course, I have an advantage when it comes to being told no, because you see, I used to book a seven-ride carnival in Texas. Mm-hmm. Most of my competitors had twice or three times as many rides as we did, and they all had newer, better, scarier, flashier stuff than we did. So the only way we were able to fill our calendar was to call everybody. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I would get tired of calling people, and I would go, None of these people want us. We, you know, they'll want us if they can't get nobody else. And he would just say, look, Max, if you don't ask, they can't say yes. Now shut up and make the next phone call. I love that. Uh, yeah. And so that's become my brand. It's, you know, it's become a lot of the ways that I've done things. So I have a lot of experience with being told no. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't worry me. I'm like, yeah, you said no. You said no in email. You didn't say no to me in person. Come on, have some courage. Come to my house and tell me no. to my face yeah you know so uh so that's that's a that's a part you know again i come back to decisions and practice you know every you know if you think about being told no as practice as preparing you for when somebody does say yes or you know just using that as fuel to ask the next person then you know that's that can become a thing it can really help you move forward and oh by the way I love it when they take a little time to actually write a reply so that, you know, you can go, okay, it, they didn't just reject this out of hand. They actually looked at it. And, you know, another thing that you can do with book with rejections from editors is you can submit your book to competitions, retreats, uh, book award competitions. And a lot of those are free to enter. You just have to go through the submission process. And occasionally getting an award for your book can be very, very encouraging when you're getting no's from agents. And of course, it can also help you get a yes from an agent if you're one of your past self-published books is getting awards. Like my book, The uh, the Blind Bloggers New York City Adventures, just got an award from uh, Author Shout as being a recommended reader book for 2021. So, oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. The same book that Book Pipeline said would never make a good movie. These people at book at Author Shot said was a very good book. They their only criticism is they said they would have liked to have heard even more of my emotional thoughts and feelings during that experience. That was their only real criticism of the book. But it's you know, but it's 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 another way you can you know you can keep yourself going, you can get some positive feedback. Um yeah, uh, some of them are gonna say no and that can be negative too, but you know, it's all about the adventure. Every time I press send, it's fun. Hey there, writer. Thank you for listening to the How to Write a Book podcast with your host, Masir Valenzuela. If you like the show, we'd be happy if you left a review. For more information on writing and the writer's life, go to www.themasiel.com. That's www.themasiel.com. We'll see you on the other side.